Goedemorgen broeders en zusters, welkom in onze eredienst vandaag. Goedemorgen en herzlich willkommen zu unserem Gottesdienst. Maligayam pagdalo sa aming simbahan. Bonjour en bienvenue à l'église ce matin. Dzień dobry, witam wszystkich na porannym nabożeństwie. Hello and welcome to our Sunday morning service. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you. God, may all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you. God, may all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. The beginning of our service, we saw people welcoming us to this service in different languages. Uh, we are a church of different people uh, from different nations with different backgrounds, which is a picture of what we will see today is a new humanity that God is making that reflects his great and glorious salvation of many peoples. 
So wherever you are listening this morning, uh, whatever your background or circumstances, we welcome you to our service and we are glad that you are with us today. Although Christians are described as a new humanity, there was a time when there was a great division between God's Jewish people and people of other nations called Gentiles. In Ephesians this morning, we're going to see how the wall that divided those is smashed by Jesus. One example of the the way that they were divided is how the temple in Jerusalem worked. Gentiles were banned from many areas in the temple. And Erin is going to read us an example of this division in Acts chapter 21 and verses 17 to 36. If you have a Bible, you could turn there and follow along with us. In this passage, Paul is accused of taking an Ephesian Gentile called Trophimus into the temple courts. Notice as we read this the hostility that is involved in this accusation. After Erin has read God's word to us, then Alan is going to lead us in a time of prayer. Acts chapter 21 verses 17 to 36. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all of the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live in accordance to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know that there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should obtain from food sacrifices to idols, from blood, from the meat strangled of animals and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. When the, seven day, when the seven days were nearly over, some of the Jews from the province of Asia saw, that Paul, saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us! This man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place, and besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defied this holy place. They have previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian in the city, with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused and people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in uproar. He at once took some of the officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowds. When the rioters came, the commanders and his soldiers they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul to be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. Good morning, everyone. Let's join in prayer together. Let's pray. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it, Lord, completely. Our Father and God, as we come to you, we thank you that we come to one who knows us and loves us. You know us, Lord, and you have met us in our need. 
you have seen us in our sin and provided a saviour for us and we praise you for Jesus the Son of God who loves us and gave himself for us we thank you Lord for your mercy and your wonderful kindness to us every day and father in this week when we have commemorated the 75th anniversary of the ending of the war in Europe we do praise you for your grace to us as a nation we thank you that in our land you have given us liberty to live and to worship you and to speak of you for others and we pray for the preservation of that liberty over our land we pray for our government our Heavenly Father as they seek to lead us in this present crisis and as they plan to speak to us on Sunday about plans for the future we ask Lord for your wisdom and for your guidance for them we ask that there will be those who will seek you and want to know your will as they seek to go ahead and we also pray uh, for our government as in this week they will be debating the imposition of radical abortion laws on Northern Ireland we pray Lord please bring our legislators to realize the contradiction of going to enormous lengths to protect the lives of thousands and at the same time allowing the needless destruction of tens of thousands father we do ask you to have mercy upon us our greatest need is not saving from coronavirus it is that we have turned away from you the living God and from the rescue from sin and eternal judgment that can only come by trusting in the work of the Lord Jesus who died in our place who rose from the dead and is today at the Father's right hand in heaven so we pray that in these days of hardship and sorrow for many that many will turn to you and find the joy of knowing that they are forgiven and safe for eternity we thank you Lord that in these days uh, some have found new opportunities to speak of you to friends and family and neighbours we pray Lord that these conversations will bear fruit and then father we would bring to you the needs of our own church family we thank you for our elders and deacons and we pray for wisdom for them uh, in, in this present time that uh, they may be able to plan well in the light of whatever new guidelines uh, are issued this week we pray for particular needs of our church family Lord we do thank you that uh, Owen is able to return to work at New Cross on Monday and we pray for him that father he may uh, know your grace and your help uh, please allay any anxieties he may have about uh, going back to work we continue father to pray for friends uh, who grieve the loss of family members we remember our brother David Ray and Dawn and Grace and uh, the Nix family we bring them to you and pray that you will comfort them in this present time we pray for Jenny and Peter Christopher and for Jenny uh, in her health difficulties and we do pray father that you will grant ease from her pains we do ask and pray also that she may be able to get the appointments that she needs we pray for our brother Martin uh, also who has been waiting for such a long time for appointments for the ongoing pains that he has in his arms and we ask that Lord he may know relief from these and he may uh, get the help that he needs we pray for Carol and for John as Carol goes for her next chemo session on Friday we pray for Julie uh, off work with uh, COVID-19 symptoms and pray that Lord you will be with her and grant her healing and uh, um, recovery from that we do remember Megan's brother Julian also our father um, as he uh, has had this surgery and we pray for him for his recovery remember Lord uh, our brother and sister Richard and Jen and Hannah Margetts in Mali and we pray for them today uh, as they are living with the restrictions and we ask that Lord they may be able to continue their ministry there and we do remember uh, uh, the ministries of caring for life also and of just caring and uh, we pray for those Lord as they seek to reach uh, the people that they 
would normally have personal contact with. Lord, you know the many difficulties there and we pray for your help for them. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your wonderful love to us. You would say with the psalmist, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. We do thank you, our Father and God, that each and every day we can say, The Lord is with me. And we ask these things as we come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. When we were reading in Acts chapter 21, we saw this barrier uh, that was in the temple. But now all of us can have access to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And our next song speaks of how this gospel cry of love goes out to all the lands. Let's sing, you're the word of God the Father. have a Bible, uh, please turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and this morning we are going to be looking at verses 11 to 22 of that chapter. Up to a month or so ago, not many people had even heard of social distancing, but now we not only know what this is, but we are experiencing it. And it's not something that for most of us we are enjoying. It is a painful experience. I don't know when this will end, but one thing that I do know is this. That is when we come back together, we will enjoy in a fresh way the experience of meeting together. As we remember this experience of social distancing and isolation, we will have a greater appreciation of our liberty 
and our fellowship. I hope that one outcome of what is going on now will be a greater intimacy together as believers. And with that intimacy, we would be a greater witness to our world as a community of followers of Jesus. Thinking of social distancing in this way leads us nicely into this next section in Ephesians chapter 2. This is because Paul speaks of social distancing in this very passage. He speaks of the great social distance that was in place between Jews and Gentiles before they were Christians, and of the even greater distance between mankind and God. In verse 11, at the start of this passage, we are told to remember. Just like we will remember social distancing from our day and have gratitude for what we have and live together better in the future, we pray, Paul wants Christians to remember the social distance he talks about here for the very same reason. So let's see how he does this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. This is God's word. Last week... In chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, Paul showed the incomparably great power of God in salvation by giving a contrast between death and life. We were dead in sins, and then in verse 4, we saw this wonderful phrase, but because, and then God show, uh, Paul showed us this contrast between one, we were once dead what God has now done in his love and in his mercy and grace in bringing us life. In verses 11 to 22, Paul shows us God's incomparably great power at work in us in a different way using another contrast, that of breaking down a great social distance that divided Jews and Gentiles, who were rival groups. And ultimately, by breaking down the great social distance between sinful mankind and a holy God. Again, we see what was before. So, formally. Then in verse 13, we read, but now. And then in verse 19, we read, consequently. 
which shows us what this means for us. In light of the wonderful gospel that Paul proclaims in verses 1 to 10, Paul wants us to remember the results of it, which we will see is a new humanity. There are three sections to this passage, three truths that we need to remember. Something that was formerly, something that is but now, and then something that is consequently. So first of all, we are to remember your alienation. Remember your alienation. Now, there are lots of rivalries in our world. There are political rivalries, so you have Labour and Conservative, or Remain and Leave. There are commercial rivalries, so for example, uh, Coke and Pepsi. There are national rivalries, which uh, break out, especially in a time of war. There can be racial rivalries where different cultures collide. There are gang rivalries and there are sports rivalries which can sometimes turn very ugly with hooliganism and so forth. But a huge rivalry that existed at the time when Paul was writing Ephesians was that of the rivalry between Jew and Gentile. A Jew was someone who was part of the nation that descended from Abraham the people through whom God promised to bless the whole earth by bringing through them the Messiah. A Gentile, on the other hand, was anyone who was not a Jew. In this passage, we see that there were names for these groups. The Gentiles were called the uncircumcised. And it was to the Jews a derogatory name. They were excluded from the Jewish community, and they were looked down on. They were literally avoided by social distancing, and even were called dogs. In other words, they were looked at as less than human. The Jews, on the other hand, by the Gentiles, were called the circumcision, because of the practice of circumcision which distinguished them as Jews. And the Jews continue to practice this circumcision, even though because of the work of Jesus, which we shall see, was no longer necessary. That's what Paul means when he says that it's just something done by human hands. To the Gentiles, Jews were seen as a strange group of people who had different laws and different customs from everybody else. And there was a problem with this social distance, especially for Gentiles, because it was through the Jews that God had promised to bless the world by bringing the Messiah who would bridge that, salva- bridge that greater social distance between a sinful mankind being alienated from a holy God. Their Messiah was the one that was going to come and save us from our sin which separates us from God. And so if there was a social distance in place between the Jews and the Gentiles, then the Gentiles would be excluded from the blessings that was going to come through God's people, the Jews. And that's what Paul talks about in verse 12. Because of this social distance, there were five consequences. Notice them in verse 12. First of all, they were separate from Christ. Christ means Messiah, and Jesus came as the Messiah from the Jewish nation. So the blessings he bought, the Gentiles were separate from. We see this a little bit if you read the book of Acts. At the beginning of Acts, it was mainly the Jews who were receiving these blessings of salvation. But as it goes on, we see that the Gentiles are brought into these blessings as well to receive them. But formally, even at the beginning of the book of Acts, they were separate from Christ. And tragically, that means that they were separate from all of those blessings of being in Christ, which we saw in chapter 1. Secondly, they were excluded from citizenship in Israel. Citizenship brings privileges and rights of being in that community or country. Without citizenship, the blessings of being in that community could not be claimed. They were foreigners, thirdly, 
to the covenants of the promise. The covenants are Old Testament promises to Abraham and David and to the nation of Israel itself, which lead to the promise of salvation and new life, which is found in Christ. And as foreigners, the Gentiles didn't know about them and didn't understand them. I suppose you could look at it a little bit like that we have in the UK perhaps our own humor. And sometimes when we go to visit our family who are American, they don't understand some of the jokes that we make because they're not part of the community. But way worse than not getting a, getting a joke is here the foreigners don't understand the promises of God. And as a result of this, fourthly, they're without hope and they're without God in the world. So without hope means that the promises which gave hope could not be claimed by them. And without being part of God's people, there is no hope for mankind. And to be without God means that God's presence is not with them. It's the ultimate isolation, and it lasts for eternity without God. Paul says, this is what we were formerly. God's people, as we shall see, is the church. And so for all of us, we were alienated from God's people. We were alienated from God's promises. We were without hope. We were without God. It was an awful place to be. This is what life is without Christ. It is hopeless and it is godless. And Paul says, remember that. Remember your alienation. Remember what formerly you were. Well, then in verse 13, we have another, another one of these wonderful contrasts. But now. The problem was alienation from the people of God and the blessings of being part of the people of God. And God's solution is to bring reconciliation between these two groups. Reconciliation means that two parties who were once divided are brought back together again. After remembering our alienation, Paul tells us to remember your reconciliation. He's continuing this theme of remembering from verse 11. And the reconciliation is described in verse 13 as those who are being far away brought near. And this is a good picture of reconciliation. It's eliminating a distance that was once there, far away to near. And this is Old Testament language. Because in the Old Testament, the Gentile nations were described as being far away. A good illustration of this is the distance from the dwelling place of God. In the Old Testament, God dwelt with his people. Uh, We'll see that that was also in a temple, but in the beginning, it was in a garden, in the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned, and as as sin comes into the world, the distance between man and God gets further away from where God is. And in Genesis, it's described as going east. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, we read, after he drove the man out that was Adam because of his sin, he placed him on the east side of the Garden of Eden and there was a uh, cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. In Genesis 4, Cain murders his brother and after this we read of him going even further east. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And then just before we get to the Tower of uh, Babel in chapter 11, we read in Genesis 11 verse 2, as the people moved eastward, so further away from God's presence, they found a place in Shinar and settled there. And whilst there, a huge rebellion in a place called Babel took place, after which God confused their languages. He put this curse on all nations and separated them from each other. 
And in the very next chapter of Genesis, in chapter 12, God starts a plan of rescue with Abraham. And Abraham and his descendants were promised to be a blessing to all nations. God dwelt with Israel in the tabernacle and in the temple. But the further away you were from the tabernacle or the temple, the further away you were from God. And so the nations outside of Israel, the Gentiles, were far away. But God's plan is to bring people back who were far away. And this is shown actually in, actually in a lovely way in Matthew's gospel. When Jesus is born, the Magi who are in Babylon, where Babel was, they come to worship Jesus from the east. In other words, from being far away, they come near to worship Jesus, the one in whom God dwells. So God's plan is to bring people back who were far away. And how God does this, we read, is through the blood of Christ. Something about his death brings people to God. And verse 14 begins with for, which shows that Paul is going to explain how. He says, for he himself is our peace. Now, peace is not just an end to hostility. It is actually reconciliation and unity. It's bringing back together and making one. Paul describes it as making the two groups one. So it's not just that Jews and Gentiles agree to get on with each other and stop fighting and calling each other names like circumcision and uncircumcision. It's not just civility, it is union. And only Jesus can bring this by what he has done in verse 14. He has broken down the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, walls are barriers, aren't they? Uh, I have a garden fence, which is a barrier so that my neighbors or anyone else can't just wander in my garden. Now, I get on with my neighbors, but I don't necessarily want to live with them, and they, don't, I don't think, want to come and live with me. So there is a wall that stops them coming in. Walls divide, don't they? And usually, that's not a, a good thing. Interestingly, the, the temple itself provides a good picture of what Paul was talking about here. There were different areas in the temple for different groups in society, all in relation to how far away they were from the holy place in the temple where God was said to dwell. And on the very outside of the temple was the court of the Gentiles, in other words, the Gentiles were the furthest away from the holy place of all the different groups. And there was, in fact, a big sign in the court, on the outside of the court of the Gentiles. This uh, picture that you hopefully see on your screen uh, was found in 1871 when excavations were made in the temple area. And the, uh, the, 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 this uh, excavation is of a sign that was outside the court of the Gentiles, and this is what the sign reads. No stranger is to enter within the balustrade round the temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. That is why Paul was arrested in Acts chapter 19. He was accused of allowing an Ephesian Christian named Trophimus who was a Gentile, into the forbidden area. This kind of barrier was totally smashed by Jesus, as were all the other barriers that blocked the way to the holy place. Now, Jesus didn't literally destroy these walls in the temple and this sign. The Romans did that a few years later, after Ephesians was written. But he destroyed the barriers between Jews and Gentiles in a different way. Look at verse 15. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. The law refers to the Jewish Old Testament law. This separated God's people from surrounding nations through circumcision. 
Sabbath-keeping, food laws. They were all distinctive of the Jews. Now, these Jews were fulfilled by Jesus in his earthly ministry. This is what he means by setting aside in his flesh. Those laws that separated no longer do. They are set aside. And now that this has been done, there is one new humanity. The reason Jesus broke down these barriers and fulfilled the law was so that there would be no longer two groups, but all one in Christ. Previously, the Jews and Gentiles looked at each other as separate groups, but now there is one group at peace with each other, the church. What unites the church is the one thing that all of us have in common, the forgiveness of sins through the death of Jesus. In verse 16, we see that the church is a group of reconciled people who have undergone a greater reconciliation, that between people and God. It is interesting that Paul points out here that Christ came to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. The Jews may have been in the temple nearer to the holier place than the Gentiles, but they were both just as alienated. Both groups needed the work of the cross. And in fact, this has always been the way. In the Old Testament, God worked through Israel, but people from other nations joined God's people and entered into their sacrificial system. God did not exclude other nations from salvation and then change his mind when he comes to the New Testament. Rather, the people of God... The Jews used the temple and the law to exclude people from joining them. Both needed the work of Christ. And when both are joined together in needing the cross, the hostility comes to the end. Because the cross is a great leveler. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from or what you do for a living or what your background is, or what nation you are from. All people need the forgiveness that is offered by Jesus. Jews and Gentiles need salvation. And so it's wonderful that in verse 17, we see that Christ preaches peace to both. When it says, Paul writes there, Christ preaches peace, it means that the gospel of Christ has gone forth through his apostles And is ongoing even today. So all people, whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever your culture, whatever your color or creed, whatever you have done, however near or far to God you may feel, all people need the cross of Christ. And it is preached to all of you. And that cross of Christ brings all of those groups together as one new humanity. Paul summarizes this in verse 18. For through him, both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Remember, formerly you were alienated from God and his people. Remember, but now you who are far away have been brought near. And in verse 19, Paul spells out the results of this. He begins, consequently which is like answering the so what question. The answer to so what is because of what Jesus has done, we should remember your status. Because of what Jesus has done, those who are Christians have former hostilities and divisions destroyed as they become this new humanity in Christ. And the problems of verses 11 and 12 have been reversed. So he says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. So what what we were formerly is no more. Instead, there is another but here. Our status has completely changed. But Paul gives us then three word pictures that show us this changed status from foreigners and strangers to something else entirely. And the three word pictures are that of a, a citizenship, a family, and a building. So first of all, 
we are fellow citizens with God's people. To be fellow citizens means that we are part of the same nation and hold the same rights. That doesn't mean that we're, we all have the same passport, but the same nation as in God's people, Christians. In, in many countries, there are inalienable rights that every citizen has. Now, for example, in the United States of America, they have uh, famously uh, the, the Bill of Rights. Every citizen of that country has rights. And in the case of being a Christian, there is unity in being part of the same people of God that all hold the same rights of access to God through the forgiveness of sins. We all of us have that access to God. There isn't some with more access and less access. All of us have that right as citizens of God's kingdom. Having this citizenship also makes me think of, of the unity we have as God's people all over the world. If you go abroad and they're speaking a different language and you meet someone who speaks the same language of you as you, there is an affinity there, isn't there, of someone of your own nationality where you, you have that bond because you can speak together in your mother tongue. But as Christians, when we go abroad, there is an even deeper affinity as we meet with God's people across the globe and are one in Christ. So we're citizens. Secondly, Paul says that we are also members of his household. So a household means a family. This is a deeper relationship than a citizenship. It's a, a family connection. Now, family is a deep connection given to us by God. Uh, a, a family is, uh, is put in place by God for our, our good and our nurturing. And in the New Testament, the church is often described as a family. And in fact, the New Testament describes the church family as a deeper bond even than our blood family. And as members of a family, you have a bond that is there even if you wouldn't naturally be friends. There are obligations as family members that you must follow, responsibilities to care for one another in times of need. This also links somewhat to what we saw in chapter 1 about us being heirs. We are heirs of that family inheritance, which isn't given to anyone else. And then finally, Paul describes in verses 20 to 22, Christians now as a building. Now, it's not just any building, but it is the temple itself, the dwelling place of God. God's people being described as a temple is a common metaphor that Paul uses in his letters. This is another sign of unity. We are being joined together and built together. Now, in a building, there is a literal bond, isn't there, in the way that the stones are cemented together. And if you start pulling out stones, then the building is going to start to crumble. Now, we see some important truths about the temple in these verses, which tell us about the importance of the church and our identity as God's people. So we read, first of all, about the foundations. The first part of any building project is to lay foundations. They go deep and they provide stability for the building. Once you lay those foundations, you can't mess with them. They are literally set in stone. And the foundation of God's people is the apostles and prophets. That is the teaching of the first followers of Jesus. An apostle is someone who was an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus. They spent time with him. And the New Testament was written by the apostles or uh, the, the, the followers of the apostles who got their accounts from the apostles. And the prophets, if they are to be foundational, would have been God's people in the church who spoke God's word, teaching the truth about Jesus. You could describe uh, the, the New Testament writers who weren't direct apostles as prophets. All of these foundations are the teaching of the New Testament. It cannot be added to or taken away from. It's what holds the building up. And if you are not basing your faith on these foundations, then you are not part of God's temple, but part of something else 
entirely. As important as the foundations are, the most important stone in the building is the cornerstone. It was the first stone that was laid, and it gave direction to all of the others. All the other stones were lined up against the cornerstone. And Jesus is the cornerstone of this temple, which means that it's all built with him, directed by him, in his image. So the people of God, who were once foreigners and strangers, are now a reflection of Jesus through the teaching of and living out of the scriptures that he has given us. And upon this foundation, verse 21 says, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So the temple, this building, is rising. So it's in the process of being built. And it's being built by parts joined together. Now the the phrase here, joined together, is interesting. Because when we think of a building... uh, at least I think of, bricks, uh, like the building that I'm in now. All the bricks are the same, and they're all piled up on top of each other. But the temple was a stone building, where each stone was picked out by the builder, and the, a stonemason would chisel the stone so that it fit in exactly the place that the builder wanted it to go. Each stone was picked for a unique place in the temple building. They didn't all look the same. They were all different. Uh, An example today is if you go uh, walking on places um, like Dartmoor or in in the Yorkshire Dales or in the Lake District, you'll see dry stone walls and all the stones are different. But each stone has its own spot that is picked out by the builder. But before it's placed in the spot, the stone is chiseled away at so it fits just perfectly as the builder wants it to fit. And that's a lovely picture of what God is doing. The temple is not a a group of Christians who are all exactly the same. It is a group of Christians, ones whom God has picked out especially because God wants them to fit in a unique place in this grand building project that he is building. Each piece is important in building this great edifice that reflects his glory through its holiness. And the holiness talked of here is being set apart for God. It's, it's to be without sin so that it's fit for God to dwell in. Now you may be thinking, well, I don't feel very holy. And that's why it's important to realize that this is a temple project that is ongoing at the moment. It's not finished yet. God is chiseling away at the stones, fitting them together so they fit the building that is rising up at the moment. We are being built right now. We are involved in this great grand building project that God is making. What a great status that is to have, isn't it? And verse 22 makes it personal for us. You too are being built. That is, you are involved in God's grand building project. This new humanity that is making up the dwelling place of God that he will inherit at the end of the ages. How different all this is from the life without God and without hope. Rather, we are part of a new humanity who are included in all of the wonderful promises of God that we read about in chapter 1. As Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 verse 39, he says these words, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Paul here in this passage calls us to remember these things. What will remembering these things look like? What will it result in? What's the point in remembering them? Well, just like when we look back at our current social distancing, it will cause us to live better and appreciate our blessings more. 
For here are three uh, example results of remembering our alienation, reconciliation, and status. First of all, it will give us gratitude for what God has done for us. All the blessings of being in the people of God, all those blessings in chapter 1, are ours. We who were once far away from God have been brought near. And all that is in Christ is now ours. Remembering this can only help us live for God as we respond with thanksgiving for what he has done for us. But secondly, remembering this helps us to be that diverse community. If we are going to reflect the church that God is building, we are going to be different kinds of people coming together. There is an element where we will reflect the local community around us. But most communities are not groups of people who are just exactly the same. We reflect the gospel when different people with different personality types and different nationalities and different ages and different incomes and different skin colors and different life stages, different political opinions, all come together as one body to worship the Savior who has saved us all from sin. All different types of people in our church community should feel welcome and included and be part of the work of this church. The world should look at us and see something different, something supernatural. Now this is something that we need to continually work at and think on. We need to think about how we accept and include those who, in a worldly sense, are different from us. We don't want to just spend time with people in church who are just like you, in a worldly sense, but be involved in the lives of all kinds of different people. Thirdly, love your church. Remembering that God wants to bring different groups near him means that we need to quit complaining about church and get involved in it and love the people in it. There will be different styles of music and dress and ways of working and personalities and so on, but we are to bear with each other and work together to show off God's incomparably great power that is at work in us who believe. We look forward to the time when social distancing will come to an end and we can all be together But this week, let us remember that there was a time when an even greater social distance caused an even greater pain. And Jesus has done all that is necessary to smash the barriers that caused that distance. He did this by not social distancing himself, but by coming among us, taking our sin so that we can be reconciled to God and to each other. As we respond to this, let us sing of the foundation of our church and then praise God for his wonderful, diverse church, a church where many different peoples are praising him.
May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Amen.